0: As I mentioned, at the start of worship, we were away on vacation for the last 10 days, and we returned home uh, Friday night about 8 p.m. We had folks staying at our house, taking care of the animals, and they had dinner ready for us, which was lovely. We had some social time, stayed up later than expected as Beatrice came home from camp, and the next day finished hosting them and then preparing for Vicky Secunda's funeral, which was yesterday afternoon at 3 It was a wonderful celebration of her life, but it wasn't until after that that I got started on today's worship, and I was tired, and I thought, why do we have worship so early? We should do it later in the morning. Some people do it at 10.30. That would be so nice. But then this morning when I woke up, and it was a gazillion degrees, I thought, oh, thank goodness we do worship early. Now we can get in here before the heat comes. On our trip home, I am... There's lots of time to put in the earbuds and to try to advance the hours of an 11-and-a-half-hour drive. And so I took some of the time to listen to the Moth Radio Hour, which maybe you know is a podcast through NPR of amateur storytellers. Most of them are amateurs telling about various things in their lives. And I got to hear a story told by Carmen Aguirre. She was born in Chile and raised in Canada, and when she was 18 years old, she went back to fight um, as part of the resistance of the Chilean government. She and her husband ran a safe house in Argentina in a border city bordering Chile. She was part of the underground resistance movement against the Pinochet dictatorship. It was an ultra-right winger, he was an ultra-right winger that installed a fascist regime with all the austerity measures that come with it. She told in her story about one particular incident when she was confronted or encountered the secret police and knew that she was being followed in the grocery store and she knew what happened to people who encountered the secret police. She said in her story she knew what to do because she had undergone a two-year training period with the resistance in anticipation of events just like this, a two-year training period. We know that God is infuriated by injustice. We hear it in the prophet Amos' words this morning in the first lesson, and God says, I'm not going to pass my people by any longer. This is a reference to the Passover, as you remember, the, when the plagues were sent on Egypt and Moses was advocating for the Hebrew people to be released from slavery. And Moses said, okay, but then he kept changing his mind again and again and again. He changed his mind, and each plague came to motivate Moses to change his mind. And even the last plague, which was the death of all the firstborn, even that only stalled the Pharaoh for a moment. But the Passover was God passing over the Hebrew people. God did not kill the firstborn of the Hebrew people. He had them paint blood on their doorposts, Moses informed them to do this, so that when the Spirit of God moved through to liberate his people from slavery, he would not destroy the firstborn in those homes. Well, the prophet speaks for God reminding the people of the covenant God has made with them, which is what a prophet does. And we hear in the reading this morning from Amos that God is fed up. He's not going to pass them by any longer. He has given them any, everything, and yet they work to deceive. They don't work for the justice that God is always working for. They have forgotten, it seems, or at least that's a sympathetic way to, to approach the topic, Perhaps they've forgotten what God has done for them, and God is angry that they have forgotten. How easy it is for us to forget what God has done for us. How easy it is for us to not be motivated to be a part of God's work in the world by that very experience we ourselves have had. We, too, forget. And so this morning's gospel lesson is Jesus instructing his followers of how to be a part of the resistance. You might remember that Jesus came into the world and then declared himself as the Son of God, or people declared him of that, and he was helping them realize that the kingdom of God was coming near. But people weren't sure exactly what that means, remember? They said, well, when you come into your kingdom, can we sit at your right hand and your left? And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think you're getting a little confused here. When Jesus talks about what's going to happen to him at the end, Peter won't have it that Jesus will be crucified. That's not how this is supposed to go down. So if we can make ourselves aware of that circumstance in which Jesus is teaching, we have a different perspective of this priority that Jesus places at his disciples sitting at his feet. He needs to school them on what it means to be a part of his kingdom. He needs them to take instruction because what he is trying to do is different than what they expect. And he's not going to be able to shape their understanding unless they are present with him in dialogue with him. He needs them to ask their questions. They see him as a rabbi. They want to be taught. But they have this framework in their head of everything he says. And so they keep interpreting Jesus' words and instructions in their own framework. And Jesus is trying to help open up that framework. He's coming to bring a new kingdom that saves all of creation. It's not going to be him on the throne with a person at his right hand and at his left. It's not going to look like that. And he needs their attention to help empower them for the work he is doing. And so he says to Martha, Mary has chosen the better way. We see in this gospel reading a little part of the dialogue, which happens throughout scripture actually. Um, Sometimes you'll hear um, several answers in a row, if you will. And if you see in your gospel lesson this morning, Martha says to Jesus, do you not care that I'm doing all of this work? Well then, you know Jesus' answer by her next phrase. Jesus says, yes, I do care. So she says, well then. Tell her to help me." In our own history, as we have fought the injustices of the world, people have remembered the essentialness of sitting at the feet of Jesus. I'm reminded of the Civil Rights Movement just 40, 50 years ago, I guess it's 50 some years ago now. And um, you may or may not be aware of the Reverend Howard Thurman's work in that effort. He lived from 1900 to 1981. An African-American minister of the Baptist tradition, he wrote 20 books on religion, philosophy, and theology. According to his Wikipedia page, which I needed to confirm my hunch on a couple of things, it was in 1944 in San Francisco that he led, along with Dr. Alfred Fisk, the first interracial church Dr. Alfred Fisk was a white pastor, and they together led the church called Church of the Fellowship of All Peoples. This is in 1944 in San Francisco. It was a non-denominational church grounded in the nonviolent teachings of Jesus. And most of the people that made, comprised their congregation were people who had moved to San Francisco to work in the defense industry, of all things. Howard Thurman served as a spiritual advisor to Dr. King, as well as other notable people, Sherwood Eddy, James Farmer, A.J. Must, and Polly Murray. I want to share with you an insightful description of Howard Thurman's significant influence, um, which was built upon contemplation and action. And I owe this quote to an email a meditation that I received from Richard Rohr. Here is what Thurman wrote. The goal of life is God. The source of life is God. That out of which life comes is that into which life goes, which is God. God is the guarantor of all our values, the ultimate meaning, the timeless frame of reference. That which sustains the flowers of the field, the circling series of stars in the heavens, the structure of dependability in the world of nature everywhere, the stirring of the will of humanity to action, the dream of humanity, developed and free, for which myriads of persons, sometimes in solitariness in lonely places, or in great throngs milling in crowded squares, all this and infinitely more in richness and variety and value is God. Men may be thrown from their courses, They may wander for a million years in desert and wasteland through sin and degradation, war and pestilence, hate and love, until at last they find their rest in him. Later on in this piece of his, he reminds us of the quote from St. Augustine, which says, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our souls are restless till they find their rest in thee. This is what Jesus is affirming as Martha sits at his feet. She is in a resting position, but it is not one of sleep or mindlessness. It's of keen attentiveness where everything else is still so that she might receive the teachings of Jesus, understand what he's doing here, and be enlisted for his cause in bringing about the kingdom of heaven. As I mentioned, Howard Thurman was a spiritual mentor to Dr. King and I recalled and also found on the World Wide Web, it's very helpful, you know, when you you don't have it all on your library, (laughs) a commitment card that was distributed to those who were engaged in the nonviolent resistance of the 60s, of the civil rights era. And this is what the commitment card says, dated 1963, I hereby pledge myself, my person and body to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following 10 commandments. One, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Four, Pray daily to be used by God in order that all people might be free. Five, sacrifice personal wishes in order that all people might be free. Six, observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seven, seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Eight, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, or heart. 9. Strive to be good spiritual and, be in good spiritual and bodily health. And 10. Follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. This was the commitment card. The first one is to meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. When I think about the significance of such a card, in one's pocket, to touch and remember, or to pause for a second and review again so that it reminds the person of what they're a part of and how to do so effectively. That's when I remember the need for us to be more like Mary. We joke that we're like Martha, but it's really not funny. We need to confess that we're like Mary. And by confess, I mean it's something we might be afraid to mention. I have to confess. I have to confess. I spend a few minutes every day at the feet of Jesus. I have to confess. I try to be a student of what Jesus taught in the Gospels, and I do it by making time to learn from him. God will not tolerate injustice. I can't change that truth. But God does give us the means to live into the people we are created to be, and that requires us to be students, resting at the feet of God, attentive, mindful of the teachings of Jesus, so that throughout our day, whatever we face, we might be agents of his kingdom. Amen.